0: Frolicking in the gentle spring breeze, the fire skipped through the English middle school and the Saturday market before heading through downtown Azon. The carpet of fire slowly spread south, igniting the savage two decade old war Mizos have come to call the disturbance. The terror remains only in the minds of the victims. Few in India have ever heard of the incineration of Pukpoi the threat to bombard Lungle, or the mass rape at Kola For decades, the government even dismissed testimony from eyewitnesses who had seen Indian Air Force combat jets swoop low over the city on March 5, 1966, dropping the bombs that incinerated Ezol. The good planes were those that flew comparatively slowly and did not spit out fire. One Ezol resident told a committee of inquiry, The angry planes were those that escaped to a distance before the sound of their coming could be heard. 57 years after the EZOL strikes, the first and the last time India used air power against its own citizens, combat jets have again been targeting Mizoram. This time, Myanmar Air Force planes have been targeting ethnic Chin insurgent camps along the Tawi River, which runs along the border with India. Ethnic Chin insurgents fighting Myanmar's junta, the Prince Karishma Hasnath revealed this week, are using Mizoram as a logistical base. Last year, the National Investigation Agency even discovered networks trafficking tons of explosives from Mizoram to the insurgents. Some Mizoram residents are even fighting alongside the insurgents who they regard as ethnic kin. A peace agreement ended the Mizoram insurgency in 1986. But the brutal conflict in the India-Myanmar borderlands shows the complex traumas that underpinned it are very far from ended. The renewed flow of arms into the region and the rising tide of ethnic nationalism fueled by atrocities in Myanmar are blowing the fallout from the war into India. Lord Jesus Christ is the supreme head of Mizoram, a constitution prepared by the Mizo National Front in 1965 proclaimed. The holy scriptures will be the cornerstone of law. Following a famine in 1958-1959, this kind of utopian ethnic nationalist current swept Mizo society. The Indian state, ethnic nationalists argued, had shown itself to be an unreliable guardian of Mizo interests. To them, a new nation state was necessary to protect against the loss of their lands and identities to the people of the plains. Equipped and trained in East Pakistan, which is now Bangladesh, MNF insurgents overran Ezon, hoping to establish a nation state that would include all branches of the so-called Zo family tree. This meant Kuki, Mizo and Chin peoples Cutting across Mizoram, Manipur, Tripura, East Pakistan and Myanmar, the Indian state was determined not to turn the other cheek. Failing to push past the insurgents who held Azal, former army officer and historian Vivek Chadda has recorded, Indian troops called in air support. At the end of the air action, Azal town caught fire, one Indian officer involved in the operation later recalled. Later, More airstrikes were called in as the army pushed on southwards, past Lungle, into Demagiri. Learning from British colonial counter-insurgencies in Kenya and Malaya, the army forced some four-fifths of the rural population of Mizoram off their land into garrison villages, ringed by barbed wire and guard posts. The strategy was intended to deny insurgents food and logistical support, but also to make this self-sustaining peasant community dependent on the state. Although the government promised the relocation policy would involve, and I quote, no tinge of force, political scientist Sajal Nag has recorded that the reality was very different. Forces would cordon off entire villages before dawn and compel them to move with what they could carry to new barricaded locations families would be photographed to control movement into the new villages. Torture and mass beatings were commonplace. The elders of the village of Darzo, bureaucrat Vijendra Jaffa has written, were even ordered at gunpoint to destroy their own grain and homes and then to issue a certificate that they had burned down their own village. General jellert Templer, the tactician credited with providing the intellectual foundations for British doctrine in Malaya, famously wrote that the key to successful counter-insurgency, I quote, lies not in pouring more troops into the jungle, but in the hearts and minds of the people. The reality of imperial hearts and minds doctrine, historian Karl Hack has recorded, was a little different than it might seem. It actually involved the large-scale use of shootings of prisoners, hangings, mass rape, the burning of villages, and an incarceration of one-tenth of the population in security enclaves. The Indian army, the economist Amrita Rangaswamy, tartly observed in 1978, after a field visit, slavishly imitated the British. Like the British, they also failed. But the insurgents India was fighting, were encountering defeat too. Led by the insurgent commander Demokhyek Gangte, relying on a compass set to 10 degrees north since they possess no map, MNF guerrillas made the dangerous journey across the Arakan mountains in 1972, hoping for help from China. The group received a little cash and some weapons from the People's Liberation Army or PLA, but was so disappointed with the meagre assistance and offer that it remained in Myanmar. 27 of the 47-member group would surrender three years later to the Indian Army. Five years after the fighting in Aizan, the MNF also lost its sanctuaries in East Pakistan. The PLA correctly assessed the deeply Christian commanders of the MNF to be unsympathetic to revolutionary communism. From 1976 onwards, the MNF acknowledged reality and began engaging in a negotiation process which led to coercive force being pulled back the two sides had both realised that coercion had its limits. Even though sceptics wondered if New Delhi hadn't just bribed a tiring insurgent leadership into sharing power, things did improve. The army has stopped harassing us, a village leader riley told Rangaswamy. It seems to be the turn of the police now. From the Magisterial Visual Anthropology of the Mizo People by Joy Pachao and William Von Schender. It is clear the community succeeded in shaping its own unique modernity despite this conflict. A modernity that melded the Taj Mahal and the miniskirt, the cowboy hat and the Korean band into a distinct identity of their own. Fears that New Delhi would impose a predatory colonial order and crush Mizo identity were stilled by the political accord of 1986. Facing ethnic rebellions across Myanmar, the Tatmadaw, that's the country's armed forces, failed to understand the lesson that coercion can only achieve so much. Instead of seeking political and cultural accommodation with ethnic insurgents, political scientist Lionel Beener points out, it resorted to ever-escalating force. The Myanmar military, you see, saw itself as a kind of upholder of Burmese identity and undermine multiple efforts to build a genuinely federal relationship which would have given the different ethnicities self-governance rights. The result hasn't been a good one. Myanmar is home today to the world's longest-running civil war. Or I should say civil wars because there are several of them. The uprising of 1966 had seen tens of thousands of refugees leave Mizoram to live with their kin in Chin State. Following the coup of 1988, and now again in 2021, refugees have been coming the other way. Fleeing airstrikes and military operations, refugees have also been arriving in Thailand and Bangladesh. Leaders in Mizoram believe New Delhi should be doing more to pressure the Tatmadaw to end the civil war and restore democracy. Living along the border with Myanmar, ordinary Mizos have been calling for a more muscular Indian Army posture which would deter the Tatmadaw from striking their villages and those of their Chin kinspeople just across the border. The Tatmadaw, though, has been a reliable partner for India, working with it over many decades to crush Naga and Manipuri insurgents. Facing a dilemma, New Delhi has been silently mulling its options. But the rising tempo of war in the borderlands means the time for cogitation is running out. The relationship between the refugees arriving from Myanmar and the Mizo people has been less than perfect. The influence of the church, for example, ensured prohibition remained in force across Mizoram till 2015. Ethnic Chin migrants were blamed, rightly or wrongly, for running the small-scale distilleries that proliferated across several Ezol neighbourhoods. Trafficking of heroin and later methamphetamine was also blamed on, sometimes, the migrants from Burma. Through the last decade, organizations like the Young Mizo Association, a powerful network that some likened to a parallel government, repeatedly called for the eviction of some refugee groups like the Brew and Chakma. We say nothing good comes from the East but the Sun. One EZOL resident told law scholar Kirsten McConaughey. Every single time there is a drug haul and arrest, it will always be Myanmaris." For all these frictions though, Zo nationalism has also emerged as a genuine force among young Mizos, a means to assert their identity both in the northeast of India and across a country that often fails to acknowledge their existence. In 2015, when landslides destroyed hundreds of homes in Chin, Wahime volunteers sent truckloads of aid. Local churches organized aid drives, while Mizo celebrities had fundraisers at prominent Aizol malls. Like with ethnic Tamils in Sri Lanka or Bengali Hindus in Bangladesh, the violence against the Chin has unleashed growing anger across Mizoram. The participation of young Indian nationals from Mizoram in the Chin insurgency, however small in number, illustrates the rage. India will have to be able to show it is on the side of its own people. I'm Praveen Swami and I'm National Security Editor at The Print. Thank you for listening to Security Code.